grace and peace to you. I'm Vicar Derek Kabilis, and this is Exile Cast for Tuesday, December the 22nd, in the year of our Lord 2020. Well, we've made it. We've made it through the Advent season. The day after tomorrow is Christmas Eve. We're going to be meeting in our parking lot to celebrate the Nativity, to mark the beautiful occasion of the Incarnation of the Son of God. Our wreath is complete. We've lit candles devoted to hope love and joy even in the midst of a pandemic in this week the final candle we lit was devoted to peace peace in our world peace in our society peace even within our own hearts you know there are forces in this world that want to take our peace from us. And it seems like peace is among the most fragile of things, doesn't it? That it's it's so easy to, to lose your peace. It's so easy to, to take peace, to cause anxiety and turmoil, for the blood pressure to rise and, and contempt to simmer in the soul especially these days, right? But I'm convinced, actually, that real, true peace, I'm, I'm talking about the peace of Christ, is no fragile thing. That the, the human spirit that has been truly united with Christ has an almost gravitational serenity, if that makes sense. That, that, that for those who are converted, for those who are devoted, for those who have been changed and sanctified and, and, and reborn in the Son of God, peace becomes the natural state of the soul. And even though our ire may may rise uh, occasionally, like a a, a pot brought to a boil or, or a geyser erupting from the earth, we can be sure it'll always fall back again. That it'll cool off. And we can return to our blessed stillness. I don't know what's going on out there right now. I don't know how you're feeling today, uh, how you're dealing with the current state of things, what's going on in your heart. I, I can't reach through the phone and, and, and feel what you feel. I wish I could. But this morning, I hope that any erupting geysers out there will sure enough fall back to the earth 
that if your pot is boiling right now, either with with anger or um, anxiety or fear or regret, I hope you can find the space to let it cool. I pray that your soul would find rest in the coming comfort of the Christ child, the Prince of Peace and the one true shepherd of our souls. We've got a good sermon coming up for you. Please don't go away. Our reading today comes to us from the Gospel of St. Luke, the first chapter, verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am but a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth is in her old age, and she has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be done unto me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I wish to preach to you this morning from the title, Unwed Teenage Mother unwed teenage mother. If it sounds familiar to you, that's probably because I actually try to preach this sermon at least once every couple of years. And I preach it so often, uh, first because I, I truly believe that it's one of the most important messages I've ever been given the grace to draft, but also number two, for me, it's become a kind of 
penance I do for the way I treated someone a long time ago. Would you please pray with me? And now, most holy and merciful God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we ask that the words of my mouth and that the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. O oh God, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I can no longer remember her name. But now, some 19 years later, I can still remember the look of shame in her eyes as she walked our high school halls on the first day after summer vacation. That previous spring, none of us could see the whisper of life hidden behind thick sweaters and baggy t-shirts, but come the first day of school, her secret was out. So what did we do? What was our response? Did we, her fellow students, offer our congratulations? Did we ask about gender or due dates or morning sickness, all those rituals of joy and concern that are supposed to follow the revelation of a pregnancy? After all, schools are supposed to be a community. We've all been together since we were five years old, so surely we must have planned a baby shower, taken up a collection at lunchtime, asked to carry her book bag in the halls. No. No, I, I, I don't think uh, anyone said anything at all, as a matter of fact. At least not to her. She's as big as a house, someone said when she walked by. Well, it looks like someone had a good time at prom, said someone else. And in my homeroom class, a friend from church turned around at his desk and said to me, you've got to be kidding me. She's in our youth group. Well, I guess she's not a real Christian after all. And to my shame, I responded, yeah, yeah, you're probably right. And even though no one said a word to her, I'm sure she could still feel it, you know? The, the looks of judgment, the anonymous whispers, the, the giggles behind raised notebooks and locker doors. And before we knew it, she was gone. Even that very day, by lunchtime, she had disappeared from our school, never to be seen again. I tell you this story of shame and judgment today because I think that we too quickly forget that Mary's story is one of shame 
in judgment. We are perhaps too eager to sentimentalize our image of Mary and her pregnancy to make the story fit nice and, and, and neatly into our Christmas cards and our Hallmark movies while forgetting that in the ancient world, an unplanned pregnancy outside of the bounds of marriage was an occasion of shame, of judgment, and even death. On top of it, she was likely a 13 or a 14-year-old girl at the time. From a backwater town in an oppressed country held hostage by the Romans with no wealth to speak of, no power or, or social currency in herself or her family, why do you think it is that she went to visit her cousin Elizabeth anyway? She had to get out of town. She had to go. She had to find a safe place even for just a little while. So when the angel appears and says, Greetings, favored one, she was perplexed. Because that just didn't make any sense. By any worldly standard at all, she was not blessed. She was not favored. She wasn't privileged in any way whatsoever. She was a nobody from nowhere. And now this mysterious messenger tells her that she, of all people, had found favor with God? And then uh, turn around and tell her that she would conceive and bear a child without a husband in a strict religious society. That is not a blessing, my brothers and sisters. That is a curse. Now I know, I, I, I know. It wasn't like she got drunk at a party one night or went too far with her boyfriend and didn't use protection or anything like that. But to her family, to her society, to those who would judge and shame and, and, and might even pick up rocks to throw, none of that made any difference. She was just one more unwed teenage mother, and they would deal with her just like they dealt with all the rest. You know, our Catholic brothers and sisters have this idea that, that uh, Mary was somehow born perfect, just utterly sinless from birth, but we Methodists, we, we don't have any kind of teaching like that in our doctrine. We believe that, that Mary was essentially uh, born just like the rest of us. That she was capable of making the same mistakes that any of us might make. In short, we believe that Mary was a sinner. Yet even with her sin. Even with her lowest of the low social status and uh, her poverty and, and all that could have separated her from the things that we call divine, 
the Holy Spirit still chose her to be what the church fathers called the Holy Theotokos, the God-bearer, the mother of God, the one who would give God to the world. And to that choosing, to that mission, to that holy task that, that would take her um, from from whatever little status she may have and invite the stares and the judgment and the whispers and maybe even a few of those rocks, Mary said the most important words in the whole Bible. Yes, you, you heard me right, okay? <laughs> I believe that the words that, that Mary utters in response to the angel are some of the most potent and powerful words ever uttered by a human being in all of history. Words that would come to, to be the archetype, seen as the, the epitome of what it means to be a Christian. Let it be done unto me according to your word. Now, you know, uh, it didn't have to be this way. She could have said no, right? She would have had every right to, to shoo away the spirit and, 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 and tell herself that it was just a figment of her imagination. She could have given an, an excuse. You know, I, I just got engaged to this great guy and... And we just want to live a nice, quiet life. And, and maybe when Joseph and I are good and ready, maybe we'll have a child of our own. Or she could have said, uh, uh, no way, right? She, she could have ran away like, like the prophet Jonah yelling behind her shoulder. Uh-uh. I'm not going to subject myself to stoning or, or exile or the condemnation of my family or the whispers of my town. Or she could have tried to reason with the angel. You know, no one is going to believe it when I tell them that the Holy Spirit gave me this baby. Or she might have even just quietly turned him down and said, wow, you know, that sounds great and all, but I think I'd rather just get on with my life and live just like everyone else. She could have done that. She could have chosen one of those things. She could have said no and, and begged off it. She could have wiggled out and, 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 and just went on with her life. But that's not what she did. She said, let it be. Let it be done unto me according to your word. Let it be that I carry this child. Let it be that I endure the whispers and the shame and the judgment. That I carry on the, the, the tradition 
of Abraham and Moses and all the prophets. In, in, in my own little womb, the little Virgin Mary, nobody from nowhere called on by God to take up this supremely dangerous and, and humiliating mission. And what does she say? Let it be. Have you ever had that kind of experience? Have you ever felt something mysterious just welling up inside of you, growing in your gut, calling out to you in the night, saying that there's a plan for you, there's a mission for you, that God's got something that God wants to do with you, and that something could be holy, that something could be glorious, even downright salvific. But then you start to realize it might be kind of dangerous or kind of scary. And you just sort of shake it off. Thanks, but no thanks. I really just want to live my life like everyone else. And just like that, the angel flies away. And there lies God's dream, aborted by our desire for safety and comfort and our fear of shame. You know, that's why we need to reclaim the virgin. Ah. Uh, the fact that, that she said yes is the reason why, even though we're Protestants, even though we have a slightly different belief on the matter, we need to take hold of the Virgin Mary again and say that she can be our hero. That, 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 that she can be a Methodist saint as well. And do you know why? Because all those places where we would have said no, she said let it and that in and of itself is a miracle and when she was asked to sacrifice her body she said let it be when asked to sacrifice her reputation she said let it be when asked to take on the glares and the whispers and the shame, she stood before the angel in all his might and majesty and declared, Give me what you got, Gabe. I'll take it on. I'll take it in. And then I'll give it back to the world. My body will be the means, the vessel, the temple of your God. You know, her baby boy would come to defeat death on the cross. But in some ways, I think Mary was the one that defeated shame. Oh boy, shame is such a powerful thing. 
especially in the church. I, I know so many folks that have been turned away from the church over the years because all too often we Christians use our shame, don't we? We, we use shame to judge and, and to control, to prod, and, and to get our way in the world. I, I know we got this this abortion debate in this country it's dominated our politics for the last 50 years and and everyone's dug in and i i get that and i'm, I'm not even really interested in, in in whether or not it should be legal or illegal or any of that for today's purposes except to say that i i think one of the biggest contributing factors to abortion rates that no one ever talks about is the shame that we, good church-going folks, have put upon unwed teenage mothers, just like our very own Virgin Mary. What I mean is that upon seeing an unwed teenage mother, too often our first response is, is to judge them or to, to grieve the condition they find themselves in or, or mourn for a society where, where that kind of thing happens all too often. Babies having babies, right? And those are the attitudes we put out into the world. Instead of loving them, instead of celebrating them, instead of surrounding them and showering them with all the care and the resources and the support we could possibly mutter. Now, the plain truth of it is too many children are aborted, not because their mothers don't love them, but rather because we have aborted our love for their mothers. We refuse to acknowledge the Marian miracle that every life, no matter the context into which it was born, ought to be celebrated as a gift of God. That it ought to be celebrated as a joy, an opportunity for God's love and grace to be made manifest in the world. To, to me, it's, it's not about whether, whether we're for or against abortion, but rather whether we are for or against mothers and their children, regardless of how they came about. The question is, is if we can celebrate as one human family the birth of yet one more child of God. I think that's Mary's lesson to us on this fourth week of Advent. That righteousness can come from shame. That salvation can come from humiliation. That Christ can be born again and again in the most humble and unorthodox of circumstances even those that don't match our fantasies of how life ought to look.
don't get me wrong here. It, 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 I, 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 it's not that I'm saying that God can somehow uh, muster up the grace to forgive the unwed teenage mother. I think, actually, that the unwed teenage mother is one of God's favorite people. <laughs> That she is the apple of God's eye, not because of the sins she may have committed, but because of the hope that's growing inside of her. Because she, too, is giving birth to a new future. That, that despite all the shame and the guilt and, and the judgment we may put on her shoulders, she, like God, has eyes to see life in the midst of death. How righteousness can grow in the midst of sin and how joy can flower in the soil of shame. I don't know whatever happened to that unwed teenage mother I knew in high school. I don't know if she kept the baby or had an abortion or, or gave it up for adoption. But what I like to think is that after she dropped out of school, she took that baby far away from the judgment of our suburban town, and that somewhere she found a nice little church, maybe just like this one here in Uniontown, a church where she knew that the child could be surrounded by love and joy. That baby would be 19 years old now. Maybe uh, he's in college. Um, maybe she has a baby of her own. Uh, maybe he'll never hear these words. But whatever that baby is doing right now, Wherever that baby is, whoever that baby is, I pray that different words are already forming in their gut. Words that say, let it be done unto me according to your word. This Christmas, my prayer is that we would all have the faith of an unwed teenage mother. These words I offer to you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We have a special treat for you today. It's our brother Jan Goddard who has uh, recorded a classic for us at my request. Um, he came out and laid down a track from an old Beatles tune that really matches everything we've been talking about today. I hope you enjoy.
this week and now to you boy I hope that wherever you are however you are however it is that you are getting through this holiday season I hope that our sermon and our music spoke something good to your soul today and I hope you'll drive out to the church on Thursday night We'll be gathering in the parking lot at at 7 o'clock and we'll be uniting our hearts in celebration and jubilation over the birth of the Christ child and the faith of his unwed teenage mother. And now, may the love of God the Father, the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit go with you and be with you, now and always.